Hi, and welcome back to OA On Air via social distancing. I'm Kayan Isaacson. This week, it's 321 Go with Cosmo Macero. Then we're bringing you a clip from our post-election event with local pollster, Dave Paleologos. And finally, Two Minutes with Tom. Hello, and welcome to another edition of 321 Go on OA On Air, our weekly look into the world of public affairs, culture, business, and the economy. I'm your host, Cosmo Macero. Joining me here on 321 Go is Kyan Isaacson. Hello. Kyan, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm well. You're the official voice of OA on Air. I've heard that a time or two. We're back, and I know last episode uh, was an exciting election roundtable. And, um, and here we are a week later, and uh, things are still... In flux, the president uh, is not conceded. President Trump is not conceded. Is now, as we record today, November 12th, nine days since election day, uh, about 10 days since there was a material, any kind of material consensus that, uh, that, that Joseph Biden had, that Joe Biden had adequate electoral votes locked up. Uh, certainly, uh, uh, for what it's worth, the popular vote by four plus million and counting. Um, but but the president is dug in and it, it's interesting as as we see significant, um, uh, highly visible uh, institutional Republican figures, I'll use t- a, a newer example, Karl Rove coming forward and saying, this looks like it's over. You know, uh, th- th- this, this looks like there's no path for President Trump through lawsuits, recounts, and such to get to enough electoral votes. We're still seeing members of Congress, particularly in the Senate, you know, Lindsey Graham kind of flippantly saying, "Oh, there's nothing." To, you know, they asked him if he was going to congratulate Joe Biden. There's nothing to congratulate him for. Um, so we're kind of we're kind of still there, uh, even though the Mainstream media world and and many 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 tens of millions of voters are, are are saying, hey, look, this is over. Yeah, it's um, you know, I think Saturday was a very interesting day when the race was finally called for for Biden. Um, you know, on you saw people all over the world, quite honestly, celebrating. Um, not just here in the United States either. We should mention literally all over the world. Um, and then, you know, uh, President-elect Biden and um, Vice President-elect Harris came out and gave a great, two great speeches and a great show on Saturday night. Um, and it felt really good. And then sort of we go into Sunday and then Monday, Tuesday, and as the week has gone by, you know, no indication from the president that he has any plans on conceding, which, you know, I think a lot of people talked about in the last few months that it was a very real reality. But I think so many people thought he won't really do that to himself. Um, And he is, (laughs) and he has. Um, It's, it's troubling uh, for people that don't, you know, really understand how a transition works. The, the peaceful transfer of power is an essential part of our, our democracy and our government. This is the first time in the history of our country that we are not seeing that take place. 
uh, money is specifically set aside in the federal uh, budget to allow for a transfer of power between presidents um, for office space, for staff, you know, all of those things. Uh, technically speaking, Joe Biden cannot be having conversations with foreign leaders. Um, he's not able to get the level of intelligence uh, that most president-elects start to get right away. And that could all have long-term ramifications. You know, the, the front page of the New York Times yesterday was, elect, there is no election fraud. Um, and, but there are people that still believe that it, that it exists. And I think the mainstream media is all part of this. I think we've seen, you know, a lot of people tweeting and, and posting, um, since when does the media call elections? This is how it has always gone. It's not new. <laughs> for, since forever and not in an official role and simply reporting and, and, and individually from each state the results people forget there's no such thing as a national election there really isn't there's a presidential election and there and it's and it's carried out by each state and then within the state literally every community in some cases having its own unique or at least nuanced process that's that's the that's the, our form of government. That's the right that each state has. So mm -hmm. the idea that this that there is some, that there is some singular federal process now that must be carried out to determine whether this election is fraudulent is absurd, and either completely ignorant of basic civics or more likely, in many cases, just ignoring of it because of their political. Uh, agenda and and, and, I, and I don't you know I, I I'm fascinated by that component of it. I also feel that the that that uh, again you know the idea of since since when does the media call an election? Well, it's their role to inform the public when enough states have 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 have, have determined that their electoral votes are, are, are should be assigned to one candidate or the other. It, it's it's that's that's basic civics. Even that part mm -hmm. is. The media role. So, um, by Joe Biden, the transition is certainly underway from that perspective. Almost immediately, a transition uh, apparatus went into went into action with the website, and and there there's you know, daily updates on um, likely you know short lists for various positions. So, so from the perspective of the Biden camp, he's got a chief of staff he's uh, designating. Um, and other yeah, things, the coronavirus yeah. task force, which is coronavirus, you know, exactly important. number one priority, right? Throw the kitchen sink at the coronavirus. That's a large part of why the markets have skyrocketed, as well as the fact that, uh, for sure, that there appears to be not just hope but expectations of a vaccine. But you know, the General Services Administration is still in the clutches of, of, of President Trump. And, and and he's not letting go, and they're not breaking free, and and they're they're critical to a transition. Yeah, and you know, as long as he is continued to be emboldened by you know other Republicans, particularly in the Senate, but uh, elsewhere throughout the country, governors, representatives, whomever, it, he was gonna he's gonna continue this narrative for you know. God knows how long. Um, yeah. And we're not talking a handful of votes. You know, it could be that in recounts and things, which he's in some states, a recount is called for because it was less than one percent. That's totally fine. That is part of the process. Um, he didn't. He's 
in these states in question, he hasn't lost by a handful of votes. Uh, he has lost by a substantial number of votes. Um, you know, he keeps losing a lot no. more. A lot also is I think, I think he's on. You think he's winless in, in in court cases so far? Yes, so far. Um, and he know. also, it's important for people to remember, you know, oh, they found these votes at four in the morning. No, they didn't. This happened in states where Republican legislators or Republican governors made the decision that they weren't going to start counting ballots before Election Day. So what happens when that? And, you, and then you have a huge turnout of mail-in ballots. You have ballots to count for days after. They weren't found. <laughs> They're just still being counted. Yeah. So we will see the Republican attorney general from Arizona. This is over. There's no fraud. This is over. The Republican attorney, uh, uh, secretary of state, and I think governor in Georgia. This is over. You know, and it's 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 remarkable um, that uh, there continues to be a significant and somewhat successful narrative in keeping up the idea that this is not over. And, and that there is still a real process to play out. I'll be the first to say the president has every right where state laws allow for a recount to, to, to have a recount, even though, you know, you don't you don't gain back thousands or even very often hundreds of votes. You gain back handfuls, but he's got the right and he should. And, and that's fine. Um, and, and even these court cases. But to but to but to, you know, um, continue with the notion that, th that this is a cliffhanger is just ignoring reality. More to come. Hopefully More this time. time next week when we talk, maybe we'll be having a different conversation. Fingers crossed. All right, Kyan. Up next, let's talk about... Um, Let's talk about game show hosts, or particularly the sad passing of uh, one of the most iconic. In fact, that's what I want to talk about, perhaps the most iconic, um, because I thought about this, and it's actually a pretty short list. Uh, game show host Alex Trebek of Jeopardy, he passed this week. He'd been battling cancer. So let's start, like, right there. What I mean, you know, what is your reaction there which what has been your experience with jeopardy or your relationship with jeopardy and alex trebek um i've always loved jeopardy i've gone through periods of time in my life where the seven o'clock hour of wheel of fortune and jeopardy were like always watched i will confess i'm far better at wheel of fortune than i am jeopardy um but i have memories of even being a kid and at my dad's house the neighbors would like come by at 7:30 and we would all watch Jeopardy together from me being, you know, 7 or 8 years old up to and that's what Jeopardy was, I think for so many people, even if you didn't know the answers, everybody could watch Jeopardy. Whether you were a child, a parent, a grandparent, no matter your age, it was a show that could yeah, bring yeah, part of the fun is being like how does he know that? What yeah. you know, <laughs> who knows these things? Who are these people? Um, because some of the questions, I mean, are just so outlandish. I remember a couple weeks ago, I was actually watching Jeopardy with my husband and we both got final Jeopardy right. And we both were like, we should just quit now. It's never going to get better than this. Um, but also just what a classy guy. He always carried himself with a lot of, a lot of class, um, and decency. 
which is refreshing and was always lovely to see at 7.30 on um, weeknights. Uh, it was. It, it's, it, it's, you know, it is in many ways a minimalist game show. And I think that's what's fascinating about it. Because I, I thought about this. As a kid, I watched a lot of game shows sort of sitting in my grandmother's living room and, you know, d during the day before, you know, before I was even in school. And if you look at the the uh, the history of game show hosts, and there really has, has been a tremendous amount of them, um, the most iconic of them, it's a really small list. You got Alex Trebek, and, you know, and, and then you got Bob Barker from The Price is Right. Mm -hmm. and, and it you might fall off the cliff after that. I guess you got to give it to Pat Sajak and Wheel of Fortune, although that show began with Chuck Woolery. Chuck Woolery, also a uh, sort of iconic host. Um, he, also, he did Wheel of Fortune. He did that dating show, not the dating game, but the other one. Um, but all these other ones from my childhood, Gene Rayburn and Bob Eubanks from uh, uh, The Newlywed, you know, they were, they were uh, classics, but it's, this, it's kind of this big stew of set, you know, huge wide ties and tiny microphones from the 70s, and you had a couple people standing out over the years, and, and, and it's probably Bob Barker and Alex Trebek, and, and two very different shows, right? But Bob Barker's got all those gadgets and those cool games. He's got the babes. And it's just, and then it's just Alex and the board and you, and that's it. So I, I, you got to give it to him because Jeopardy has really captivated America for, for, for you know, when those champions go on these weeks-long, sometimes months-long runs, the show captivates America. And yeah, it's just yeah, doesn't know the name Ken Jennings. Exactly, and it's just Alex asking you the flipping the board and asking the question. And there's no gadgets. There's, there's you're scribbling in your own handwriting that everybody can see. So um, I think he's the king, and uh, may he rest in peace. Yeah, thanks for the memories, sir. All right, thanks, Diane. All right, and finally, Cayenne, we're getting toward that season, the holiday season, the Christmas buying season. I got a, we got a couple of December birthdays in my household, two and a January one, and um, and I got a couple people who are really interested in uh, probably the biggest, both in terms of anticipation, popularity, and cost item of the 2020 holiday season and that is the ps5 the playstation 5 also i think there's a new xbox coming out um you know we got both game systems going on in this household because uh, that's the way it is but the ps5 is number one untouchable if you didn't get in on the ground floor to make sure you understood how to get access you're basically screwed uh you're on the black market you're paying twice the retail value which is five hundred dollars can we start there Yes, it's a lot of money. It's just a lot of money. I don't understand gaming, so um, to each his own. You have your kids in your house that uh, want it. My husband wants it. He was uh, on the website, I think, at like 11 o'clock the night before or an hour before. And then he was like, and then the next morning he's like, I fell asleep. <laughs> and now his PS5 dreams are probably dead for the next few months. Yeah, it's, it's 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 tough. My set my my high school uh, 
age kid uh, wants is, is looking forward to getting on. And I, you know, I, I've, I actually began playing sort of the, uh, the Madden sports football games with him when he was a kid. Um, so I have some relationship to it, but, but I've, I've just, it, it surpassed me years ago. My younger son who's 12 has gone from Minecraft into other, uh, to, uh, you know, call of duty and other games. And it, even now, even the football games now, I, I can't keep up. I, I have no chance to beat either of those kids playing the, their Madden football game. But it, 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 I've tried to keep up with the culture, at least to understand how significant it is. I mean, we are now talking about esports, which is an entire universe of its own. It is it is teams with salaries and compensation and spectators watching expert gamers playing games. That's a thing. Uh, the whole industry. The, the whole industry, the, and and really the story, the narrative, the entertainment, it, it's it's more than just the game. In fact, I've noticed as they play these games, even the football game, before you even play a game, the process of assembling your team and drafting, and your, it could be a, a couple of hours of just noodling around and, and building your team and stuff. So it, it's a whole area of entertainment that's that's not going away and, 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 and uh, more importantly, becoming a massive industry um, with all types of different levels uh, uh, for, for monetization, for consumer products. And here we are both trying to figure out how to drop, how to drop 500 and not bite the bullet and drop 900 on the, on the uh, secondary market, which I'm not doing. Yeah, no, I want no part of that, but what a, um, you know, what a, a a business basic business lesson of supply and demand, right? Um, and they have figured out that not giving everybody what they want up front is a good thing for them. They could make more. They could anticipate the full breadth of the amount of people that they're going to want to buy them on the first day, and they underwhelm purposely, and it works in their favor. So. You know, good business, I guess. Yeah, no, it's smart. It is supply and demand. Good marketing. All right. All right, we'll see what happens next week with this election. Thanks, Kanye. And that's going to do it for another edition of Three, Two, One, Go. Our program is uh, recorded remotely from various locations across the Commonwealth of Massachusetts and nationwide. Catherine O'Brien's our producer. Thanks for listening. Goodbye till next time. I'm Cosmo Masson. Good evening and welcome everybody to our speaker series discussion. I'm Stephen Johnston. I'm managing director and general manager here at the Boston Harbor Hotel. Uh, we never thought we'd get to the other side of this, but here we are and we're so proud to have David Paleologos to join us once again. As you all know, these events would normally take place right here at the hotel, but despite the fact that we can't meet together in person here today, we're pleased to be a longtime host and partner with O'Neill and Associates for these timely and important discussions. So thanks again for joining us today. And it gives me great pleasure to welcome the CEO of O'Neill and Associates, Tom O'Neill. Thank you. Thank you. Stephen, you're, you're, the, you're the best hotel manager in the city of Boston. It's, it's the loveliest and best hotel in the city of Boston, the Boston Harbor Hotel. 
And as people know, this is a series of, uh, of, of speeches that go on with your sponsorship. And so we thank you for that and for your leadership on this. Together with O'Neill and Associates and the seven letter ONA folks, I wanna tell you that we're proud to bring David Paleologos one more time to us. He was with us just a couple of days before the election, um, I guess two weeks ago, David now, and gave us uh, his projections as to what was going to happen and why. The bellwethers that he kind of watches from around the country for various states in those pivotal states, the, the blue wall states, as well as the, you know, the Midwestern states, which were so important uh, during the course of his campaign. I have to tell you, when, when the election broke and uh, the, the numbers the votes started coming in for count, uh, there, there were a lot of people who were concerned, deeply concerned. And I have to tell you, I called David and he talked a whole slew of people off the meat wagon and said, don't worry, we're going to win X, Y, and Z. And he was absolutely correct. Now, I can't say that about all pollsters that night because uh, they've taken a real hit as a group and as an industry over these last couple of weeks. Um, you know, we've had the president get as many as 71 million votes against Joe Biden's 75 or plus votes, 75 million plus votes. Um, and, and I don't know that anybody saw that coming in, in the wave that it came and in the way that it came. I, I will tell you that um, we've got a lot of folks out there explaining away who they, why they chose, who they chose and in, in their respective polling and their respective, respective polling apparatus. But David, as I said, you were right. Why don't you talk about the industry? What went wrong that night and go on from there? So I spent most of my time, and Tom, thank you so much for that introduction, and uh, and to Stephen, you're 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 terrific. Uh, we love you, and Seven Letter, of course, uh, the the newest a acquisition. That's terrific. But I guess I'll 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 talk about this as if it's the good, the bad, and the ugly, and uh, we'll start off with the ugly, uh, just with just what uh, Tom was talking about. Um, uh, we have. Here are the major polling misses that took place a week or so before the election. Starting west to east, you had Fox News having that had Biden plus 11. Uh, he won by two. Dallas News, Biden plus three. Trump won by six. Who TV in Iowa, Biden plus four. Trump won by eight. ABC Washington Post, Biden by 16. The result was Biden plus seven right next door <clears throat> in Wisconsin, ABC, Washington Post again at Biden plus 17. The result was Biden plus one. Reuters Ipsos, Biden plus 10 in Michigan, Biden only won by three. Quinnipiac in Ohio, Biden plus five, Trump won by eight. Trafalgar had Trump by five in Georgia, Biden of course uh, one by one or is winning by one. And you see some of the others, CNN, Emerson, and all of the polling misses. Now, I, I'm, I'm, it's uncharacteristic that I have to depict these because I usually want to talk about the Suffolk polls and not other people's polls. But I got peppered with so many questions, as Tom had indicated, starting Wednesday morning, right out of the gate. And my first answer was, can you please wait until 5.30 at least? <laughs> you know, many of whom, many of them were on deadline. And I think it, it spoke to a, a really dangerous narrative because in essence, most of the polls did pretty well. You know, um, in, in our polling, we've done national polling, primary polling, you can see the primary election in green and the general election polling. 
Um, and, and for us, we had a pretty good year. I can't, I can't really complain. You know, we could have been better, certainly. Um, but in the last five weeks, we took six polls. Five were state polls and one was a national poll. And in pretty much the five of them, we, we at least had the winner right. And in many cases, we were close to the margin with the exception of Pennsylvania, even though we were still within the margin of error there um, as con votes continue to come in. And, um, and pretty close in the national poll, it's, it's now seven. There's still votes to come in from New York State, New Jersey, Maryland. Um, that might even go up higher. We had Biden uh, winning by 7.5 in the two-way ballot test. In the four-way ballot test nationally, we had Biden winning by 6.5. Um, Tom mentioned the bellwether methodology. You know, it's been pretty effective. Um, it's not perfect, but it's usually about 75 to 85% accurate in terms of predicting all out winners. So on election day, I tweeted out um, the, the, the names of the bellwethers of 16, um, 16 different bellwethers. Um, I did this only to give people kind of a fun tool as they were watching results come in to see whether or not the bellwethers could help us predict some of the states. Currently, we don't have the data from all 16, but a majority already have been correct. 10 of the 16 have matched the actual state outcome. There are three outstanding, and we think that two of those three are gonna continue to break in a positive direction. So 12 out of 16 will probably be right. The four that are wrong will be uh, eliminated from future consideration as a, as a presidential bellwether. But I just wanted to give you a couple of examples of information we had Tuesday night. Um, and we start with the one bellwether we chose for Pennsylvania, which is called Northampton County. You can see the little map there of where it's located, kind of outside of the Philadelphia suburbs. You know, it's not a, it's, it's, it's a decent sized county. It's 305,000 population. On the right, I wanted to share with you some of the, the performance of Northampton County in Pennsylvania, just in terms of how they've done in presidential elections in the past. So reading from lower to upper, you see in 2004, eight and 12, when Northampton has, has voted Democrat, the state has voted Democrat, not only for the candidate, but also very close to the margin as well. It's been an amazing mirror. In 2016, Northampton flipped to Trump and so did the state. And so when I got the results, and I got the results early Tuesday night, um, and there were so many um, parts of the Pennsylvania map that hadn't been colored in, but Northampton's results were in, I was shocked. I, I couldn't believe that Northampton County, because Trump was winning by five to seven points at the time, I couldn't believe that Northampton kind of would be that far off. And then I kind of fell back on my statistical self and took emotion out of it and, and concluded, well, maybe this is one of the four, one out of four that will be wrong and will eliminate Northampton from consideration in the next general election uh, for president. But it turns out that it was remarkably accurate. Uh, again, we're still counting votes in Pennsylvania, but if you look at the numbers, they're really close. Uh, similarly, in Michigan, 
um, you have the Michigan bellwether, which was also remarkably uh, accurate in terms of, um, let me just, I wanted to go to a full view so you could see um, uh, Saginaw County. Um, so here's a little a clearer look. And again, it's, you know, it's the Flint Saginaw Bay City area. It's 190,000 population. And again, when it flips to Republican, the state flips and vice versa. We had this data in Michigan Tuesday night, Saginaw County, and you can see how well uh, the county did in terms of predicting the actual outcome. In Ohio, same kind of thing. Ohio hasn't always voted Democrat. This is two and two, historically, two Democrat, two Republican. When it's flipped, the state is flipped. And again, was a remarkable bellwether to have for us, uh, for those people who follow me, for all of the people who received the tweet, how much information that gave us Tuesday night going forward and how armed we were and prepared to talk to reporters and others about what was trending. Uh, and, and obviously my conversation with was informed by this when I talked to Tom. You know, and then we talk about the, you know, the nation being divided and Stephen, and just before going on was, was chatting about, you know, how some of the properties in Boston are still boarded up because violence was expected. And when we did our national poll, it was really consistent with this. Over 69% of voters said that the country's divisions were deeper than ever before. I wrote a column about this on USA Today. Um, I thought this was really helpful for, for people to read this, uh, just to give you a little perspective on this. Uh, it also, the poll also uh, really didn't break differently between Republicans and Democrats. You know, both sides viewed uh, the depth uh, of division as being, um, you know, very deep. Um, um, there also are expectations of conflict. We asked whether or not people expected that there would be violence on election day or in the days thereafter. Now we're a week after, things have been pretty quiet, but we have lawsuits pending uh, that have been launched by the Trump administration and a general uneasiness. You saw the stock market for a second day uh, uh, selling off. Um, uh, with some apprehension about what might be to come. Um, one of the topics on my, in my column that I had shown you was that I was talking about how CNN viewers and Fox viewers, Democrats and Republicans saw the world so differently in the poll, not only between Trump and Biden, but in terms of COVID, in terms of the economy, in terms of many different issues. Uh, one side with one sentiment, another side with another sentiment. This is the one question where both sides saw through the same lens, the expectation of conflict and that the country is divided. 36% were very concerned about violence, 39% somewhat concerned. That's three and four. Um, and that's a, that's a horrible way to perceive not only the election, but in the days that followed. Uh, we also asked the question about um, uh, whether or not people would 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 believe that the if the other candidate won, would the race be fair and square, or would it be about corruption? And you can see here the difference between the two 
uh, the, the Democrats and Republicans in terms of how they perceive it. More uh, Democrats, 38% were saying fair and square, and more were saying corruption. If Democrats lost to Trump this time around, versus Republicans, as you can see on the other side. Hi, Cayenne. Hi, Tom. How are you? Two minutes with Cayenne. Two minutes with Tom. Good to talk to you. What's uh, we haven't spoken since the before the election. We haven't. A lot has happened since we last spoke. A lot has we happened. Have we have a president-elect Biden. We do. I'm, I'm glad to see that you understand and recognize that. That's good. I do. I do recognize that. Um, we uh, we we do, and more and more, frankly, Republicans are kind of towing the line and admitting that he's the president-elect, and that you know any any issues of fraud, error, abuse, or rigging of an election, uh, I think are widespread. Uh, people of widespread belief that it never it doesn't exist. There's no evidence that it ever happened and that Joe Biden is a legitimate president-elect. And uh, I think he's a clean breath of fresh air. I do too. I think he is the man for the moment, right? And his, um, as is Vice President-elect Harris. I mean, you know, he, he picked a great running uh, running mate and I think they make a great team in complimenting each other and sort of representing kind of, I don't want to say factions so much, but some of the different interests and thoughts of the Democratic Party right now. Um, I think that Joe Biden's history, you know, longtime history in the Senate and in Washington, D.C., a lot of these, you know, Republicans that have been there a long time genuinely like him. Uh, well, I, that will only help. <laughs> I think I think you said it right. It's his time. He's run twice before. Uh, he was actually my choice back in 2008, and then he became... Um, he lost the primary season to Barack Obama, and they made a great team. Um, and I think I think he is to refresh people. Back when last time the country was was anxious about its president and its its leadership with Richard Nixon, the appointment of, by Congress to have Gerald Ford go in after Richard Nixon had been impeached and removed from office, you know, he was just like a a, a soft pillow comforting America. And that's what Joe Biden is. Um, you know, a, a uniter, somebody who's going to bring hopefully the parties together, but certainly the people together beyond the election um, to see if we can't deal with the coronavirus, to see if we can't deal with issues like infrastructure. And I, I think it's a, a fascinating time. I, I just hope that folks on both sides of the aisle have paid attention to the American people in that they want all the bickering behind them. Mm -hmm. It's hard, though, because so much of that, I think, general individual persons want the want the bickering and want to see the world come together and our country come together. But just watching social media commentary between people I know, you know, on my own Facebook page of, or scrolling through others, um, the the bickering exists amongst us still, too. And, and social media has allowed for that in a really different way than it did a decade plus ago. Right. Um, I, I think that Biden, though, is a is a healer in that regard. You know, there some policies of Trump um, might have been extreme, but maybe not bad. I'm, I'm thinking about the trade agreement with China. Not bad. And I think I, I know that Joe Biden not only agrees with the outcome of that 
revamped agreement. Um, he didn't. He, he wouldn't do it the way Trump did it. I guarantee you that. Um, but I, I think he agrees with the outcome, and I think uh, I think that's the one contribution uh, Donald Trump made in his presidency. To be perfectly honest with you, uh, because we were being, um, you know, we, we were being stolen from uh, in China uh, by some of our, you know, intelligence apparatus and technology, and um, it has to stop. We want to remain competitive in the world, and uh, we don't want people taking, you know, our goods, our services, our secrets in, in technology. So if we can find avenues like that, then I think people will understand that there's, there's, there's more ground to cover that we can agree on than there is ground to, to disagree on. So we had um, our presentation with local pollster from Suffolk University, Dave, Dave Paleologos, last night. when yes. uh, He had a, a great conversation post-election. Um, one of the things you raised today that stuck out to me was, you know, the Republicans don't really have a party platform right now. And mm-hmm. you guys talked about that a little bit. And I wanted to play a little bit of devil's advocate and ask you, but what about the Democratic Party's platform? Because there's a lot of chatter and, and, and analysis and discussions about what is the Democratic Party platform? Well, I think it's pretty clear when you're dealing with uh, the Affordable Care Act and maintaining it for 30 million people in the United States. It was put in place by the Democratic Party. It was agreed to by enough Republicans and it became the law of the land only to have Donald Trump come in with, with uh, his Republican led Senate to try to dismember it and pull it apart, which, thank God, they were not able to do, and the Supreme Court ruled in the favor of the Democrats. Uh Number one. Number two, the environment. Uh, Joe uh, Biden has said that he's going back into the Paris Accord on the environment. You know, there are only three nations in the world, four with us out of it, three nations in the world that weren't part of it. Um, And we've got to start dealing with the environment and climate change. and that's a very real thing. That's another thing the Democratic Party stands for. The third thing would be energy and energy development. It's not that Joe Biden is going to stop fracking or oil drilling where it currently exists or coal. What he's going to show the world is that you can do it with with green energy. And it creates not only a new economy, but millions of jobs around the world. And he's going to he's going to provide the impetus and the apparatus to make that happen. Um, that's just three areas of where the Democrats differ on the Republicans with the Republicans. Um, the Republicans, I think their platform, and I disagree with David, he came back and said, well, they're for America first. That's not a platform. That's a demagoguery. Um, uh, I, you know, America applies to and appears, appeals to people's innermost instincts of what they don't like and who they have to blame. That's not a platform. And that's not an issue. That is demagoguery, and that's all that is. Um, the only thing the Republicans are doing is trying to pack a, a U.S. Senate, a U.S. Uh, Supreme Court, and they're trying to deny people of a clean environment, I think, affordable care for health care, and dealing with the coronavirus. Um, it has become, you know, it, 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 the other thing is Joe Biden and the Democratic Party want to clean the virus up. It is not unmasculine, nor is it Democrat or Republican to wear a mask. It's sane, it's sensible, and it's it's the right thing to do. So 
So before we close, yep. by this time next week when we speak again, yes, think we will have made traction and the trans the peaceful transfer of power will have begun, or is tr Trump going to continue this narrative of voter fraud and refusal to concede? This time next week. Um, I think the hand count in Georgia will be done again, and I think that will make Joe Biden the president-elect with 306 electoral votes. Um, you know, we, we keep hearing about the, the uh, electors from our states going and turning around the state of Pennsylvania and its electors. It's been tried before. It's, it's, it's supercilious, and it doesn't work. Um, and let, let me just simply say that Joe Biden not only is the president-elect, he is the next president of the United States, and it's historic because uh, Vice President-elect Harris is the first woman, the first black, and the first Indian American to hold the office of Vice President of the United States. It's a historic moment in time, and it's progress, and it's again led by the Democratic Party. Well, we'll check you know back next week and see where, we're, see where we are. You know what? With that good news, and I think the virus finally having a vaccine that people think has a 90% fix um, and solution, we don't know an awful lot about it still, but it looks that sometime by the end of the, third, of the first quarter or beginning of the second quarter of next year, people will have access to that vaccine. And hopefully the beginning of the COVID virus will be behind us. It will be a brighter day. Thanks, Tom. Thank you, Cayenne. It's always nice to talk to you. Have a good oh, weekend. Okay. Yeah, bye-bye. That's it for this week's episode of OA On Air via social distancing. Thanks for tuning in. Talk to you next week.